The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. We are once again in Philippians chapter 1 this morning, and let me just refresh your memory. This, in Paul's warmest and most affectionate letter, written while Paul was in prison, I know many of you now are saying, oh, I can certainly relate to Paul. I feel as if I'm in prison. But we understand that what we're dealing with now is nothing to what Paul was dealing with. He was in a dark, dank Roman prison, isolated and separated from those he loved, and suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's writing to a church who is in a hostile environment. They are marginalized by their culture, and many are suffering financial hardships. And Paul has a special affection to this church. Last week in verse number 8, we found that Paul said, God is my witness. The way I feel towards you, I have the same love and affection that Christ has. I mean, these are powerful words. And Paul was saying, as I think of this church and the connection we have to the gospel, I share the love of Christ that Christ has for you. That's the love that I have for you. He loves them intensely. And part of him loving this church, which I think can be um, an example for us, is that it's expressed in praying for this church. Now, this morning, I want you to remember the circumstances of Paul in prison and the situation of this church. And as Paul says, I'm praying for you, I want you to think of all the things that Paul could pray for for this church. What does he pray for? And of all the things that we would think about praying for, what would we pray for if we understood the situation of this church that was in a hostile environment, if this church that was struggling financially, what would be some of our first prayers that we would pray? I think we'll find this morning that we are so far off base with what we find to be of the utmost importance in the Christian life. So let's look together now at the prayer of Paul. Philippians chapter 1, look with me if you would at verse number 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. I find it interesting that the first thing Paul prays for, for this church, is that their love may abound more and more. And notice, there is no object to this love. He doesn't say your love for God. He doesn't say your love for one another. He just says that your love may abound more and more. And I I think in this statement, we see the necessity of love as a trait for the believer. And Paul wants it to be expressed and shown and magnified in their lives. Why is that? Well, listen to the words of Jesus in John 13. Verse 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Can you hear that statement? Jesus says to his followers, I want you to love one another, and he qualifies it, as I have loved you. 
in fullness, in sincerity, in selflessness. And then he goes on to say this, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Believer, do you understand when we talk about love, what associates us more than anything else with the person, ministry, and work of Jesus Christ is love. Not only that, but it assures our own hearts. Listen to this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. If you're wondering this morning, what assurance does a believer have that they are truly born again, that they have been saved, ransomed, and redeemed, that they have passed from death to life? Some people believe that, well, my assurance is in a prayer that I prayed, a card that I filled out, I raised my hands, I walked an aisle. But that's not the assurance that the great writer, the disciple of love, tells us. He says, by this we know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brother. Brothers and sisters, the family of God, he that loves not his brother abides in death. These are powerful words. And and now we're getting an idea why Paul would pray this for believers, that your love may abound. And that word abound is interesting. It means excessive. It means over the top, over and over again. So believer this morning, as we hear the prayer of Paul, and we think about how we pray for one another and ourselves, it's obvious that these believers were to be known for love. This morning, just in a quick self-assessment, what are we known for? Are we known for our politics? She's liberal, she's conservative, he's Democrat, he's Republican. Are we known for our standards? These are the things that you must do. Are we known for a critical spirit, self-righteousness, an abrasiveness in our hearts and lives? Beloved, there's a problem with that. Because we are identified as Christ followers by the fact that our love for God and our love for one another abounds more and more. And so Paul is praying for these people he cares dearly about. And he says, the first thing I want to be formed in your life is that this love grows more and more. It abounds. He goes on, though. In verse 9, he says that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge. In knowledge. This is important. The the Christian love is not just a fuzzy thing or a gushy thing or a good feeling thing. It must be informed in knowledge. We have to know for our love to grow. Paul Tripp gives an interesting illustration about an argument he had with his wife. And in the heat of this argument, he he became very prideful and boastful. He said, well, have you know, speaking to his wife, 95% of the women in our church would be happy to be married to me. And his wife, in a flash of brilliance, said, I want you to know I'm in the 5%, right? Because she knew him. And sometimes our idea of love is not mature, it is not right, because we do not know. Paul says, I want your love to grow in knowledge. Real love knows, and it grows. He's writing to the church. And I submit to you this morning that as we think about our love abounding, loving others, especially in the church, maybe you say this morning, I don't know how that's going to help me. 
because I know those people in church. I, I do know them. And sometimes I think, what planet are they from? Were they raised by a pack of wolves? I mean, nobody likes them. And I don't understand how knowing them better would increase my love and that it might abound. Well, I think I want to help you with that this morning. This growing in knowledge might be, first and foremost, a growing in the knowledge and the quality of yourself. Beloved, do you know why Jesus said that we were to love the unlovely? Because that's exactly what he did for us. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus Christ did not save us because we were fine, upstanding characters with great character traits. The Bible tells us that while we were sinners, while we were in rebellion against God, while we had committed cosmic treason, while we were dead in our sins, while we went our own way, that Christ died for us, and his grace is what saves us. And I think sometimes in the midst of the church, we are not growing and abounding in love for one another because we don't accurately assess ourselves. There's an interesting passage in, in first, Second Peter, actually. No need to turn there. But Peter is talking about adding to your faith, verses 5 through about 9. And at the end of his list, he says, add to your faith brotherly kindness and love. And he says, when these things are in you, you will be fruitful. You'll have a life that produces good fruit. But if these things are not in you, then you have forgotten that you've been purged from your old sins. You have forgotten the gospel. You've forgotten, and we have forgotten, the miry clay and the pit that Christ took us out of when he saved us in the ugliness and the darkness of our own sin. And so maybe this morning, as we pray for our love to abound more and more in knowledge, we should have some self-knowledge, understanding where we came from and what God saved us from. We should know the quality of ourselves. We should also know the story of others. For years, I just assumed, and maybe you've done the same thing, that every believer in Jesus Christ should be ten times better than everyone outside the church. So we as Christians should be more kind, more loving, more honest, more hardworking, better neighbors, better bosses, better employees than anyone. And, and I think there's truth to that statement. I think that's a process of growth. But what I've come to realize is that there are some people who naturally, their disposition is such that they're naturally kind. They're naturally loving. They're easy to get along with. They were born that way. And this is important for us. We have three grandbabies, all girls. We're expecting a fourth one in July. And so we're praying fervently that, that the bands will be lifted. But the three that we have now, they're all sweet. They're all beautiful. We had all boys, and now we have girls. And it's been a joy um, getting to know how to interact with these beautiful little girls. But there's one of those little girls who has a sweet, pleasant, kind disposition. It, it's almost as if nothing rattles her. But there are two of those girls. Uh, they've got some spunk. And it seems like those are the two, naturally, Addie and Ren, who will be in trouble, and Elle will be telling on them, right? 
because that is their disposition. They're, they're just made like that. And all those things can be used, but I want to make the point that for some of us, we are naturally more kind, naturally more loving, naturally more honest in our behavior. And there are some people who come to Christ and the events of their life have been tragic. They have been hurt. They have been abused. They have been exploited. They were raised by a pack of wolves or not raised at all. And so we come into this journey at different stages of life in our salvation experience, and maybe if we knew their story, we might understand why it is that they have a hard time trusting or forgiving or how they react to situations. If we took the time to know them as human beings who have a past, who have a story, who have a history, dysfunction takes a long time to deprogram. It's a work of the Spirit of God. And if we knew our brothers and sisters in church and we knew their story, not that we would condone their behavior, but certainly we would understand where they're coming from. And so Paul says, I want you to grow in love, abound in love, and in this knowledge when it comes to the church. But that's also true when it comes to Jesus Christ. Many of us know Christ in the initial phases of salvation. We saw his love for us, we comprehended his sacrifice, and we came to Christ and we trusted him for our, as our Savior. And that's a wonderful thing. But too many believers stop there. I heard a story as I was a kid. It was an illustration that was used quite a bit when I was growing up about a little boy who kept on falling out of bed. And one night he fell out of bed, hit his head, was crying, and his parents rushed in and said, what happened? And he said, I just think I stayed too close to where I got in. And I think in our Christian life, many times, we understand Christ as our Savior, but we have not plumbed the depths of the person of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God? He is our righteousness, our sanctification. And and the more that I know him, really know him, and it's not the God of my mind or the Jesus that I have come up with, right? That Jesus that we perceive in our heads, um, that's not reality. God is not who we think he is. God is who he said he is. And the Bible makes it clear. A matter of fact, the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, it all speaks of Jesus. We have a little, um, little uh, book that we use for our kids and our grandkids. It's the Jesus story. And the title is this, Every Story Whispers His Name. And the truth is, every story does whisper his name. Believer, are you growing in the knowledge of Christ? Do you know more than just, I got saved? Do you understand his attributes, not just his love and grace, but his justice, his holiness, his righteousness, his purity? Do you understand his omniscience and his providential care in your life? That as you look back on your own life, you've seen his hand work in situations where you thought you would be destroyed and you cursed the process and later repented because this God is much bigger than anything we go through. And he has a plan and purpose. Do you ever stop to think about Christ and the mysteries of your own salvation? Do you understand the depths of salvation? How is it that a just and holy God 
can forgive sinners and wipe the slate clean and make them, declare them to be righteous and still be just in the process. This is mind-blowing of the grace and mercy and justice of God in our salvation. And we should think about it. We should ponder it. We should learn and know so our love grows. This is what the Bible says about our salvation. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he is talking about salvation, and he makes this amazing statement about the redemption that we have. He says at the very end of the verse, which things the angels desire to look into. My beloved, your salvation, my salvation, the angels of heaven desire to look into the mysteries of that. And so I encourage you, we need to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is our duty and this is our privilege. The more we know the Jesus of the Bible, the more we will love him. And the more we love him, the more we'll want to know him. And that cycle continues. Beloved, do you know that this is eternity? That for all of eternity, we will be learning and knowing of this Christ. And our love will expand and grow. And so Paul is praying for these believers, and he says, listen, I want you to abound in love and in knowledge. And when we do, we'll be compelled to tell the story and sing his praises. And by the way, maybe we should have switched this around, because the only way that I can truly love believers in the church that I know and I'm getting to know is by knowing Christ and loving him. That gives me the motivation and the impetus then to love others as I have been loved. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on in our text to say, verse 9, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, which is discernment. And I love how the text has sort of just um, expanded here. He says, overflow with love to God and others, grow in knowledge, and allow that knowledge to produce practical insight for living. We don't learn of Christ just to win at Bible trivia or to have the right questions in a Jeopardy category or even to win an argument or debate. The fact is we, we plunge into the Word of God to know him in order then to have discernment. Listen to the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 5.14, But strong meat or food belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. Maturity for the believer is learning the word and applying the word. It is a regular diet of biblical teaching helps us develop this instinctive wisdom. It, it's where the rubber meets the road. So I'm growing in love and knowledge of Christ. Therefore, I am making decisions based on that in real life, in real time. How is it that I have a Christian home? How is it that I deal with stress? What do I do to forgive past hurts? How do I deal with people who are antagonistic? All of these things require discernment. And so Paul prays for these people that he loves and adores, and he says, I want you to grow in love, abound there, knowledge and discernment. Now remember, he's writing to a church that is struggling, that is poor. He's in prison. Why is this so important for Paul? Well, the Bible gives us the answer. Look at verses 10 and 11 of our text. That or so that you may approve things that are excellent, 
that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. He says, I'm praying this for you, love, knowledge, and discernment, so that you can approve things that are excellent. That word approve has the idea of, of proving metals. When the metal was heated, the dross would come to the top, you would scrape off the dross, and what was best was left. And this is what, what Paul is saying. He understands that we make decisions every day of our life. And when I am growing in love, knowledge, and discernment, I start making decisions not that are just okay, or can I do this or get away with this. I go from making decisions that are just good to decisions that are best. Not just bad and good, but better, best. Those that are unimportant or, or insignificant to that which is most important. Those that seem to be comparatively harmless to those that are possessing great value. We make decisions every day. And, and some believers wake up and say, how in the world did I get to this point? I have drifted further away than I could have ever imagined. And how we get there, in part, is because we have not allowed our love to abound more and more in knowledge and discernment. And we've been making decisions that are not the best decisions. They're not even good decisions. And Paul is trying to save this church from that. And beloved, Paul's trying to do the same for us this morning. When we sow a character, we reap a destiny. And so he says, listen, as I'm growing these areas, I can then choose what's best. Not only that, he says that we can be blameless. He uses a couple words there. He says um, that you may be sincere, which means pure, unmixed. It has the idea of what you see is what you get. And again, he's not saying, well, this is just the way I am. I'm cantankerous. I'm mean. I'm angry. No, no, no. What he's saying is, as I live this Christian life, my lips match my life. I am pure. I am unmixed. And then blameless means without offense, that there is no stumbling there. So, so beloved, can you see Paul's desire for this church as he prays for love and knowledge and discernment is so that they as a body can choose what's best and be blameless. And again, you might ask the question, okay, that's great, interesting, so what? Well, here's why. He says in the verse that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. The fruits of righteousness, the day of Christ. Martin Luther said there were only two days on his calendar, only two. Number one, today. I think there's real wisdom in that. In the times that we live, and what's happening now, it's real wisdom to say, on my calendar is today. Grace for today. But he said the two days are today and that day. And when he said that day, he was speaking of the day of Christ. And Luther lived his life with that in mind, that there was coming a day that he would stand before this one who saved him and gave his blood's life for his redemption. And it motivated Luther. It drove Luther. It sustained Luther as he had the weight of the Reformation upon his shoulders. Beloved, as believers, 
that day is coming. And whether it's by our death, however that comes, or by Christ piercing the eastern sky, there is coming a day when we will stand before him. And and Paul is gearing this church up in the midst of their situation, in the midst of their circumstances, while he's in prison saying, listen, what's really important is that you're abounding in love, knowledge, and discernment, that you are blameless, that you're choosing what's best. Why? Because that day is coming. And we all live as if it's never going to be here. It is going to be here. Isn't it true? Okay, I am 50-something now. I think 51. I'm not sure when you get older you forget these things. But, but I, I look now at my hands, and I think, you know what? Where did it go? I used to be young. I used to have dark hair in my beard and in my head. It, it passes like a tale that's told. It's gone. And somehow we push this off over and over again. But believer, there is coming a day. It will be that day when we stand before our Savior. And in that day, You'll want to have these fruits of righteousness that you say, Lord, I was growing in love. I was growing in knowledge. I was growing in discernment. I was choosing what was best. I was doing these things. And not for myself, but for your glory to produce fruit. Listen how important this is to, again, the disciple of love, John. He says in 1 John chapter 2, And now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that does righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons and daughters of God, It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man and woman that has this hope purifies himself, even as he is pure. Believer, this morning, in the midst of our struggles and trials and our difficulties, which are real, we need to look back at the Church of Philippi And of all the things that we can pray for, and there are are numerous needs to pray for, and I'm not minimizing that, but I think Paul helps us keep everything in perspective as he knows that day is coming. And in that day, I do not want to be ashamed. I want to be able to come before my Lord and say, I finished. I finished the race. I did what you called me to do. There are fruits in my life because of the grace that you gave me day by day. May that motivate us this morning. But if you're here this morning listening and you don't know Christ, my friend, the day of Christ is coming for you as well. No one escapes this. The Bible makes it clear that no matter what you feel about Christ or what you think about him, whether you receive him or reject him, There is coming a day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so, this morning, if you're not a believer and you think, well, the prayer doesn't mean anything to me, whatever, 
The truth is, you must know this Jesus because his day is coming. I was reading Tozer last week, and he said this about salvation. He said, Christ came in order to make worshipers out of rebels, in order that he might restore us again to the place of worship we knew when we were first created. And that might not make sense to you right away. You think, oh, who cares? But the truth is, my friend, you and I were created for a purpose. We were created in the image of God to be his image bearers, to reflect his glory, to fellowship with him, and to worship him forever. That's your purpose. And you might, again, think, I don't want that, but, but listen to me. This is what you were created for. And, and without acting in the line of what you were created, you will never find what you're looking for. You have been searching for something or someone to worship other than the creator. Other than, it, it's either stuff, money, sex, things, comfort, or yourself. And I'm telling you this morning, that is a dead-end street. It, 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 it will not give you what it promises. You might find some joy and contentment for a time, but listen to me, anything outside of God's plan will fail. And that's what we have done. We have been enemy combatants of God. We have turned ourselves away from him, and we have decided that we are our own gods. We will create our own reality. We will decide what's right and wrong. We will decide what we will worship or what we will not worship. We will decide what we'll do with this God, whether we acknowledge him or not. My friend, it's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. Because this God is holy, righteous, and just. And if we die in our sins, if we continue to run this fruitless path, this empty path, without Christ, we will be damned for eternity. It's a terrible thought. It's a terrible truth. But the holy, righteous God of heaven will judge all sin. He will judge your sin. He will judge my sin. And the reason he does it is because he is good. He knows that all sin ultimately kills. It kills everything. It will kill your joy, your peace, your rest, your comfort, your relationships, and eventually it will kill your soul. And so God will deal with that, and he'll confine it to one place. So we have a decision this morning. Either we will accept what Christ has done by taking the payment for us and lay our arms down and repent as rebels and trust him, or we'll take the wrath of God for ourselves. My friend, you don't have to do that because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And our prayer is that today, if you don't know Christ, you would stop running this fruitless race. You are running to destruction. Stop, repent, lay down your arms and receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And so... My beloved, this morning, as there's so much we could pray for and about, may we take the example of Paul, and may we pray this for ourselves and for one another, that we may abound in love that's framed in knowledge so we can have discernment in order that we can choose what is best for our lives and in turn be blameless, 
without a fence, looking for the coming of Christ, that when he comes, we will not be ashamed, and we will have finished the race well. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the beauty of the Bible and how it lays out the truth. Nothing to make up. Nothing um, to be creative about. It's there, and we thank you. Lord, I thank you for this prayer of Paul. I pray that we would take it to heart this morning, that we as your people would long to abound in love, that we would grow in knowledge, that we would have discernment and just this wisdom from above as we live out our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would implant in all of our hearts this morning the idea of that day, the day of Christ. May we be found faithful in him. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.